Hello and welcome to this episode of the Basis Podcast, Agronomy Matters. My name's Greg Hopkinson, Head of Business Development at Basis. In this month's episode, we're going to be discussing organic farming and food production, following the launch of the Basis Foundation Award in Organic Farming Qualification. And this is the first Basis Accredited Qualification within the organic sector, and we hope it is our first step towards supporting the industry more widely replicating the success of our current qualifications and professional registers. Now we've worked alongside industry partners to develop this course, which provides a comprehensive introduction to all aspects of organic farming, including legislation, soil management, crop production, livestock production, and understanding the organic conversion process. Further information about this new qualification can be found on the BASIS website with the link in the show notes for this episode. The demand for organic produce continues to grow in the UK and we're going to be talking about what opportunities this can bring and how this fits within the UK agricultural industry more widely as we move away from the basic payment scheme and also how organic producers and conventional farmers can share knowledge and learn from each other's experiences. Our first guest on this episode is Stephen Briggs, an independent advisor with Abacus Agriculture who specialises in organic production. Stephen's going to talk about some of the potential benefits and challenges organic farmers and growers may face, and how strategic advice and careful planning can help develop sustainable organic farming systems. Our second guest is Mark Lee, a farmer in Shropshire who has been farming organically for just over 20 years. Mark tells us about his experiences as an organic farmer why he decided to convert into organic production and what organic and conventional farmers can learn from each other. And finally, we spoke to Stephen Clarkson, Certification and Compliance Manager at Organic Farmers and Growers, a leading certification body within the organic sector and one of the organisations who helped develop the Basis Foundation Award in Organic Farming. Stephen explains a bit more about the legislation which governs organic food production, labelling and marketing, and also outlines how organic farmers are inspected once they have been certified by an organisation such as Organic Farmers and Growers. Now let's meet our first guest. So our first guest on this episode of Agronomy Matters is Stephen Briggs, organic farming consultant with Abacus Agriculture. So Stephen's got a wealth of experience in organic production and he's going to talk to us today about how you can successfully convert from conventional farming to organic production. So thanks for joining us today, Stephen, and welcome to the Agronomy Matters podcast. Good morning, Greg, and uh, it's a great pleasure to be here. So firstly, for any farmer, kind of moving from conventional agriculture to organic production is, is going to be a big change. But why should farmers be considering this and what benefits are there from moving into organic production? So there are sort of multiple benefits to think about. Um, uh, one of which I guess is that the, I suppose the big thing is direction of travel in terms of uh, where we're going with agriculture. And agriculture has been, uh, I suppose, transitioning to uh, uh, more sustainable, regenerative type models for quite a number of years. And there's certainly a, uh, a gathering uh, pace uh, behind sort of government policy in terms of looking towards different land use models. 
Um, and, and some of that is around the demands of uh, consumers wanting to know where their food comes from and having trust in those, uh, those production systems. Some of it is around uh, the need to address declines in soil health and, and, and uh, biodiversity uh, across the landscape. Um, and some of it is about uh, sort of domestic food policy and food security. So there's, there's a whole range of different things. And you know, organic farming uh, in the round is 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 about sustainable production methods, balancing productivity with biodiversity, about providing you know equitable income and local local food systems. So a, a lot of the things that organic farming, even though it's imperfect, uh, does is, is address a lot of those both uh, um, agroecological, societal. Uh, and, and uh, quality of food production sort of um, uh, questions. Um, so there are there are, there are opportunities uh, uh, with a, with a growing marketplace for for organic products across the UK and internationally. So we spoke there about the pressures kind of from potentially policy um, and also from the from the end markets. But if we saw more farmers moving towards organic production. Do you think there are any wider societal benefits to that? So, uh, I mean, one of, one of the, um, uh, I suppose, one of the tenets of organic production is to try and is to try and shorten those supply chains as much as you can. So, it's about local food production systems. You know, we we have as an agricultural industry um, always been pressured to play on world markets and, and, and feed a, a, a growing to demand uh, uh, with commodities, but you know, certainly from a, a Northern European, um, uh, you know, so UK perspective, we, we're, we're a pretty densely populated land base. Um, we're, we have, I suppose, a, a very high standard of living compared to, to other places in the world. Um, and um, all the time we're trying to, you know, we, we're not like a Australia or, or parts of the US or Canada or Brazil, where there are large areas of the landscape which are, are, are natural um, uh, or uh, non-agricultural, and then there are large areas of the landscape which are intensive agriculture. Here in the UK and in Northern Europe especially, <clears throat> uh, our agriculture and our ecology and our natural spaces and our population are completely sort of uh, blended uh, in a jigsaw. So the the, the necessity to try and do things in as environmentally friendly way as possible, I think, is, is probably more important here than it perhaps is in other places in the world where they can separate, you know, high level, high level productivity and, and, and sort of natural spaces. So policy is driving us towards that. Our consumers are driving us towards that. Um, you know, as uh, as a marketplace, is something that we can try and try and respond to. I guess you answered your question in some ways about. Uh, a demand and uh, organic conversion. One of the, we'll come on to in a minute, but one of the uh, challenges for all farmers wishing to convert to organic systems is it doesn't happen overnight. It takes planning. Um, there's a, there's a, a, a conversion period to go through. So you can't turn supply on or, or, or off instantaneously. There's a, there's a lag period. That's a benefit because it sort of means that you can plan supply coming into the system. Uh, but it's also a disbenefit in terms of uh, it's, it's difficult to meet those, those those sort of peak demands as they come on stream from, from consumers because product you know production takes two or three years to 
to catch up with that demand. So you mentioned there the conversion process and and one thing people might be interested in is kind of what types of farm businesses would generally be most successful in organic industry or could can any farm business um, convert to organic production or, or, or some areas of the industry easier than others? Uh, uh, well, uh, there are very few farming systems which can't convert to organic production. I suppose the exceptions would be uh, intensive indoor poultry or pig production or, or zero grades cattle production. They, they wouldn't fit... Um, into sort of organic principles, but most um, crop, fruit, veg, uh, extensive livestock systems can convert to an organic system quite comfortably. The bigger challenge, I suppose, is, is, is the thinking of the farmer in terms of, of how you actually manage those systems successfully and how you integrate those, those various systems. Farms that have become more and more specialised into, into just a few commodities so farms that are maybe only growing two or three cereals or, or one type, one or two types of vegetables or, you know, are, are just one type of, sort of tree crop, fruit crop, for example, actually quite difficult to convert those monocultures into, um, or more challenging to convert those monocultures into, into organic systems because a lot of the problems that we see around pests and diseases uh, and their management thereof are associated with those very specialist monocropping, monocultural, single livestock, high intensity sort of operations. And organic systems tend to, by nature, want to go to more diversity because the diversity overcomes a lot of those problems. So having you know, a traditional mixed farm with, I don't know, let's say some crops and forage some cattle, some sheep, etc., as an example, that that's much easier to do organically than it would be if you were, you know, just operating a couple of couple of enterprises. So, uh, progressing farming systems to more diverse, more complex, but managed complexity is the way that that there is most success in organic systems. That's not to say that there aren't farms out there who are stockless operating all arable systems for 20, 30 years. There are, but they have they have bigger challenges. To overcome uh, in terms of rotational constraints and and, and markets, etc. So one thing our basis professional register members are is that a lot of them will be advisors as, as well as farm managers and things like that. But um, within organic production, what does the role of an advisor look like, and how do you help farmers um, develop organic farming systems? I suppose one of the one of the important things. Uh, to take on board with organic, organic is it's much more about strategic management of problem avoidance. So instead of um, when a problem occurs in a cropping system or in a livestock production system, reaching for a, a bag of something or a can of something or, or a syringe of something to solve a, to solve a problem uh, isn't always the, as straightforward in organic systems. Uh, and what we're always trying to do is is is, to, is plan and develop a farming system which avoids those problems occurring in the first place. So it's more about strategic management, setting up crop rotations that avoid pests and diseases or minimise their risks, set, to set up grazing systems and livestock enterprises with the right breeds, with the right uh, grazing and housing strategies, again, to avoid health and welfare issues or the buildup of sort of internal parasites in, in livestock guts, et cetera, that kind of thing. So it's, it's about 
designing in uh, designing in a minimize uh, problem avoidance and minimizing risk. So as an advisor, our, our, my role and our role is is very much around helping farmers um, uh, try and avoid those problems by by helping them design robust systems where those problems don't occur or they occur with minimum minimum risk. So. If we're looking at the conversion process again, I, one of the, I was going to ask what are the key challenges farmers make, but another way to wear that is as an advisor, what are the most common mistakes that you kind of see farmers make during that conversion process? Well, if you're, if, if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying hard enough, are you? <laughs> um, the, uh, I guess the key challenges, so the first thing to say is for most crop production systems, uh, it's a minimum of two years uh, after the last prohibited input of a, a synthetic fertilizer or agrochemical, etc., um, uh, unless that's for perennial crops, uh, top fruit, etc., when there's a three-year conversion period. Uh, for livestock, they can either convert at the same time as land, or, or you can do a simultaneous conversion where the uh, the land and the livestock convert at the same time, and then when progeny are born onto organic land, they can uh, they can be sold uh, as organic when they're mature. So as an organic advisor, actually, the, part of the role is, is to start looking backwards, is to actually start looking at the history of the farm in terms of you know, what the problems are that are already, already there in terms of soil structural issues, soil health, uh, pest disease, weed issues, etc. Um, and how we might address those through, through organic conversion. Uh, and then uh, really helping farmers set up a uh, a timeline and a strategy for, for moving from one production system uh, into an organic production system o over a period of years, uh, uh, you know, with, a, with an underlying principle of trying to minimise the risks that, that we've already talked about. So, so looking at the local landscape, uh, looking at what the past history is, looking at what the opportunities are and the, the resources on that farm, um, and also looking forward in terms of what the markets are, because ultimately we've got to produce for a market. So, um, you know, where, where are the where are the opportunities to produce crops domestically or livestock domestically, and where are they going to go in terms of market? Because there's no point in doing something only to find there's no market for it. That's in no one's interest. So it sounds like kind of the conversion process and organic patience seems to be the word patience and planning. Yeah. Uh, at times, it's a bit like playing three-dimensional chess with a blindfold on. Oh. Uh, there's, uh, you know, there's lots of different, uh, lots of different things to consider, uh, and it, it's quite a complex process. But, but, um, um, you know, we've helped many farms through the organic conversion process over the last twenty-five years, and uh, you know, the majority of them, vast majority of them, stay stay as organic farms. So that's kind of takes on to the next question. So you've gone through a conversion process and you've got your kind of organic production system set up, but, but how do farmers make that sustainable and profitable? How can you keep it going so it's kind of self-sustaining and can be um, successful in the future? Well, I guess the first thing to say is that, you know, farming in general is a pretty, you know, it's a pretty low margin uh, uh, um, uh, activity, uh, occupation. Uh, all of us, there's any farmer in the UK that wouldn't want a little bit more for their produce, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever they produce. So, you know, picking up on the last point, long-term sustainability is partly about building in uh, long-term 
productive potential. Uh, it's about uh, making sure soils uh, and environmental conditions are, are well managed. So, so you know, biodiversity, uh, natural predator and pest control, um, uh, balancing nature conservation, habitat management with, uh, you know, right alongside farm productivity, that all goes towards long-term sustainability. But at the same time, actually producing things that people want, want to buy, um, and, and trying to shorten those supply chains wherever you can and adding value. Um, you know, principally, we are in the UK, largely we're a domestic market. There is very little uh, organic export. There is, in the main, quite a lot of organic import because we don't produce, for most commodities, we don't produce enough in the UK to, to satisfy the demand from domestic consumers. So I think we're the third biggest market in Europe for organic retail. Um, yet we, we lag a long way behind in terms of actually what we produce in the land area that we have. Um, and, you know, it, it has been easy for, for traders to buy in organic grain or organic uh, processed foods or milk or whatever from other places in Europe. Perhaps that's maybe getting a little bit more challenging with Brexit, uh, certainly getting more challenged with climate change and carbon footprints. Uh, and... Um, there, there are opportunities there for farms to, to feed that, that domestic market, provided it's done well to the right standards and, and to market requirements. So you've said there that there are opportunities and there is demand in the UK. Has that converted into an increase in the number of businesses trying to convert to organic production? Or um, have you not seen that um, come through with the farmers looking to go through that process? There's been, there's always been, I mean, I think the latest statistics show about a 12% increase in the organic marketplace, which is a pretty healthy growth rate. Um, and largely the, the sort of organic conversion of grass and livestock systems has, uh, so beef, lamb, dairy, etc., has has kept pace with demand domestically. Uh, fruit and vegetables and uh, cereal crops, arable crops, Certainly hasn't. There's there's less produced today than I think there was, you know, a decade ago, um, and that's you know partly down to the conditions that we have in terms of weather and climate, partly around uh, you know processing um, capacity and demands. Um, so there there are opportunities there. Uh, you know, as as mentioned earlier in the podcast, one of the challenges is it's very difficult just to turn on productivity. You know, if one of the supermarkets turns around and says, we want 20% more organic production on the shelves, well, you know, they can't magic that up overnight. It's going to take three years to come on stream. Uh, uh, um, so actually the easy option for them is to go elsewhere in Europe where it might already be there. So turning on, you know, making sure there's a sustainable growth, but also there's a sustainable supply place domestically to feed that is 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 a challenge but but we're certainly seeing growth and and certain opportunities for um for the right farmers to supply that that, that growth so my final question is to kind of summarize and look towards the future and and what does the future of organic farming in the uk look like to you that's an interesting question isn't it um well as, as we started this uh, podcast by saying you know, actually, there's a there's a sort of wind of change happening through agriculture, uh, both from uh, 
the need to adapt to climate change, uh, the need to meet the needs of a growing population, and also the changing emphasis of policy, you know, certainly with uh, the move away from direct payments to um, sort of the, the um, public public payments for public goods and the Elms program, that kind of thing. That, that sort of change in policy and support towards uh, integrated nature, more sustainable agroecological systems, actually is very much the same journey as a, as a sort of an organic conversion process. So I think farmers that want to convert to organic um, uh, align with that, that sort of public demand and policy perspective. Uh, there are some other benefits around um, uh, shortened supply chains where, where that's possible. And also, actually, for, for many farms, actually a change in sort of working capital uh, and investment requirements. Many farms, especially, you know, cropping farms, which have had to invest heavily in, um, uh, heavily with working capital in, in inputs, find that when they're farming organically, the, the requirement for working capital uh, uh, reduces significantly, and whilst uh, uh, you know output might change somewhat, um, the uh, the value uh, leaving the farm gate is 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 pretty similar or, or better. I mean, so farm business surveys over the last few years show that all you know organic production largely holds its own or is slightly better economically than than most conventional models, give or take, depending on what you do. Um, so, so there, there are there are certainly future opportunities, and what does it look like? I suppose you know there's a, there is a bright future. There is there is increasing demand, increasing interest in where food comes from, and those farmers that can uh, change their business models to be more risk averse, more robust, uh, work better with nature, and engage in in shorter supply chains uh, domestically. I think there's a there, there's a great opportunity, and organic aligns quite well with that. No, it's, it's great to hear um, the positivity and, and the opportunities that are available to farmers out there. So thanks for joining us today, um, Stephen. And um, yeah, thanks for everything you contributed to the podcast. Thanks very much, Greg. And uh, we look forward to, to uh, hearing listeners perhaps participating in the, uh, the basis uh, introduction to organic course. That's great. Thanks very much. So our second guest on this episode of Agronomy Matters is Mark Lee a mixed arable and sheep farmer based in Shropshire, who's been farming organically since 2000. So Mark's also a director at Organic Arable, a membership organisation who share their knowledge on effective organic farming practices and also um, markets organic produce. So thanks for joining us today, Mark, and welcome to the Agronomy Matters podcast. Thanks, Greg. Good morning. So firstly, everyone always likes to know about each other's farms. So can you tell us a bit about where you're based, what you currently grow and, and how it all works with your system? Yep, we're, we're, uh, we're in East, Eastern Shropshire, uh, to be specific, really. And uh, we're, we've been here a long time. The farm isn't huge. We farm about 400, 450 acres, but half of that is owned and the rest is somebody else's. Um, it's all organic and has been, as you said, since 2000. We, we really converted everything very quickly back then so we've been organic a long time um although we it doesn't feel that long in a way we're still learning and still changing um it's been most of my farming life has been organic we i did have several years prior to that non-organic which led to that point um now cropping is 
fairly diverse as it is in most organic situations through necessity really. Um, our, most, our biggest area crop is oats, um, oats, milling oats, which are sold as you, uh, through organic arable to a company called Whites in Northern Ireland. Um, wheat is probably the second in terms of area. All our wheat now is grown as specialist milling wheats for direct sale to millers and bakers. Um, and we also have a small flour mill here, which we've just set up on the farm. So we should be selling flour, hopefully, before very long, um, which will be wonderful. That will be a complete sort of um, link up to, to the wheat growing. Um, peas we grow for a company called Hodmodods. Again, human consumption peas and then other things as and when that uh, fit in and around it. So fairly diverse cropping and sheep um, are our only livestock now, but uh, the sheep are very much integrated into it. Uh, for for, for uh, the, the benefits they bring. So you said you've been organic for most of your farming life, but when you were a conventional farmer, what made you think I want to convert to organic production? And what were your kind of biggest worries? What were you most concerned about? <laughs> the, I think in a way, this is a terrible thing to say to you on this podcast, but the beginning of the end for me was doing basis. Um, and we and I went back because we were a small farm. We were 200 acres owned and it was pretty obvious in the mid to late 90s. I came back from college in about 92, uh, one. So it uh, by that was a tough, tough time in arable farming. Prices were poor um, and, and uh, it was pretty obvious that there wasn't a great future um, for another generation joining this farm um, of that scale. Um, so uh, my plan was to become a part time agronomist. And, and uh, do my own advice, obviously, but also, uh, you know, hawk myself out and advise independently to others. Um, and I went to do basis. And, and I think it was at the same time that alongside that, I was getting ever more frustrated with the way we were farming. Um, it felt to me to be coming very prescriptive and very agronomist dominated. And I wasn't comfortable with that. I, I found, I felt that there was increasing pressure to apply more with more haste, more accuracy, um, more regulations, which were difficult for a small farm to, to cope with, um, more cost obviously associated with that. And, but always more pressure somehow. It felt, it felt like, you know, we were getting more uh, sheets from the agronomist that said, you've got to do, I th it was really when there was beginning to be the understanding that if you delayed your growth stage 39, for example, there was going to be a financial consequence of that. And that was, I felt the pressure of that as a grower. And I and I felt that there was enormous pressure to get out and spray, and we were we were spraying perhaps, you know, struggling to find appropriate conditions, and and um, that alongside a a long term um, concern about the environment, concern about conservation, the two things sort of combined, and and I felt that that I was beginning to lose my enthusiasm rapidly for non organic farming, and that that was really what led me to that change. So you made that kind of um, decision, took that step to go through the conversion process, and I'm sure it was quite challenging. What was the most difficult parts of it in those first few years of organic production and what kind of challenges have you had to overcome? I think I, think I, I can remember this it's a long time ago, but I can remember very clearly, the, and I should imagine this is the case today for anyone considering it, that, that um, the, the, the fear is how can I possibly survive without something which I consider essential? And we, you know, all the farming inputs, we then, like many, many other non-organic farmers, considered them to be pretty much essential to what we were doing. Bag nitrogen, bag P and K, um, you know, and obviously all the ag chem. So how are we going to answer those problems? And 
nitrogen you can answer by growing legumes in theory you know it's not quite as simple as that obviously but it's but there is an answer there is a biological answer but back then we didn't understand anywhere near what we understand now about soils and we couldn't see a biological answer to p and k we couldn't see um biological answers to slugs and and aphids and those things very clearly um certainly plant diseases which were very very much in our mind then um but uh, so i think prior to conversion it was all about the anxiety was how will i cope without all these things which i consider to be vital and and i think they're vital to me because i can't imagine not having them um but having taken the plunge into organic you realize very quickly that a lot of the things that you think are vital are actually not um and by taking out it's obvious we all know this by taking out artificial n you also effectively take out plant diseases and and a lot of plant pests because the crops are so much less attractive to them um so we found the thing daunting and frightening um based on what we were going to not have but the actual reality was in a way reassuring in that that is, I think this is where I found the wholesale conversion. You know, an organic, an organic system clearly is a, com, it's it's completely in at the deep end. There is nothing, or effectively nothing. We applied nothing, um, so you you have to stop everything at the same time, and and that in a way is the key to the success because uh, you know you can't. I think I would have struggled if it had been of a more piecemeal uh, reduction of, of some parts of non-organic farming without others. If that makes sense. So you've said that kind of jumping into it and, and going going for it into the deep end is one tip you'd kind of give someone potentially. But what else, what other advice would you give to someone who's considering kind of converting towards organic farming? Well, I think if you can, if you can, if you've got a few years, if you could, if you just got you know the foresight to do it certainly get on top of perennial weeds docks being the probably the main one um uh, how many times in the last 20 years have i thought about the fact that docks were so easy to control in a non-organic situation and yet so difficult you know that our nemesis really here um so so you know perennial weeds are a big problem uh all weeds are a big problem i'll be honest of course they are they are our biggest problem um with organic conversion i mentioned earlier fungicides and insecticides we really can live without those um without any particular concern but but uh you know herbicides are a big a big miss and um weed control is paramount is central to, to organic success i think um but perennial weeds are a particular challenge um, and, in, and increasingly so, I would say, you know, 20 years in, it's st they still have the potential to bring the system down, I think, if you if you lose your grip. Um, and that's that's a worry. So so perennial weeds. But in the other sense, I think advice would be to to be brave, you know, to to understand perhaps what I didn't understand that, um, you know, a lot of the things which which um, you think you're going to miss, you actually won't. Um, a change of mindset is is central to it is an acceptance that the farm will look different um you know your your reputation amongst other farmers will be very different and perhaps not very positive uh for some um you know it, it we 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 were you know in the 90s it was very much the era of filling the barn and you know i can remember growing a four ton to the acre crop of brigadier and thinking i was the best farmer in england i was so proud of myself um you know i i like filling the barn as much as everybody else but organic requires a completely different um mentality really and that that's something that has to change quickly so 
well, you've gone through this process now and you've kind of, yeah, you've done it 20 years now, you've been um, farming organically. What would you say has been the main benefits to your farm business from taking that change? I think it, it's, it's the change of the business. And I think the change of public perception of our business was huge. Um, and the opportunities that that has provided for me or for us as a business and I think in many ways your first of April uh, 2000 was our, for our conversion date um, and we had no idea then we thought then we were going to change from a producer of non-organic crops to a producer of organic crops as simple as that um, what we had no idea of was that by becoming organic suddenly you know we we would occupy a different position publicly so people would be perhaps be more interested in our farm it it complements for us it complemented stewardship really well and it, it was the start of stewardship about then as well we we entered the arable stewardship scheme simultaneously and and because the two things appeared to fit together and to a greater extent i think they have fitted together we've we've stuck with stewardship all the way through and still are and in the main the two you know it works well together um that encourages more conservation more habitat creation the there are obvious benefits of organic in terms of biodiversity. I've mentioned the weeds and, and you know, we can credit them as being biodiverse as well. Um, but clearly there's insect biodiversity. There's every form of biodiversity on this farm in greater quantity because I believe because of that organic conversion. You know, it's a dirty farm. We're full of weeds. We're full of insects. We're full of uh, every other species. And a lot of it is because of, of the, the fact that we are organic. Um, that complements the, the uh, stewardship and it also absolutely complements the, the PR, the public position. So we, I think getting back to your question, we've received so many visitors to this farm, so many groups, so many people that I've met and places that I've been able to go and people, you know, and, and opportunities that have been open to me that probably would never have happened had we remained an ordinary, dare I say, ordinary and totally anonymous at that scale non-organic farm uh, producing commodities um, so so in many ways it's not so much or it certainly wasn't in the early days not so much the organic crops as the whole thing the whole thing changed um, and that's led us into food production really which I, again I don't think we would necessarily have found if we hadn't converted. So talking about you mentioned some of the suppliers that you work with and obviously organic systems achieving premium prices has got to be um, as part of the system how do you actually work with the end markets to achieve those premiums and and deliver and supply to meet demand well we i think the the clearest example of that is the, the perhaps the first example of that was um about uh, i suppose when we converted we did continue to produce basically commodity crops you know that we, we produced simple cropping a relatively simple cropping that was going into the trade so it was going off an arctic at a time into the trade um less arctics than we had sent previously obviously but but it was still going in a similar way um and my first big change for me became I was we were growing peas because you really have to grow a grain legume in an organic arable rotation or so we felt at the time. Um, and um, we were growing we tried beans and we were growing peas for, uh, for animal feed and peas are really difficult. Everybody knows organic or not organic. Everybody knows peas are, can be a very difficult crop to grow. Um, Organically, they can be a nightmare to grow. And, and uh, you know, imagine the scene full of weeds, peas, all flat on the ground. It's, it's not great. Um, 
but the the feed pea market was import led, um, and the prices were miserable. And and at the time, uh, organically, and I I felt really really frustrated that we were working so hard to produce something that it, whose value was so limited by by the import commodity price system. Um, so I I, I found um, Hodmadod then, and we started. We've got on really well, and we started to grow peas for human consumption which completely changed my perspective into suddenly focusing on the quality of the end product almost completely, um, feeling that it was my responsibility, that the, that the end product quality for human consumption was my responsibility, not just, not just getting it combined and getting it dried and then off it goes. It, it suddenly felt like I, the, 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 I had a part to play in the, in the, in the quality of that food really and that changed the way we we operated i mean prices were very different and working with hobmadod in the early days we you know we would talk about what prices needed to be so a completely different world from from the non-organic model of you know the price is the price and you accept it or you're miserable or both um and, and we were suddenly in a position where we with a very small buyer for a very small market and a very specific product that we were able to 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 really influence that price if not not dictate it but certainly influence it um now we've come you know many years on from that and we've got closer and closer to food and we, we're now selling we sell as i said earlier a lot of our wheat if not all of our wheat and milling other milling grains direct to millers and bakers and we do fix the price um you know obviously we have to be careful and we have to think very carefully about it, what how we fix the prices but we now set the prices um we add value on the farm we we accept the hassle and all the all the grief that comes with that and all the challenges of adding value on the farm but in return we are able to to you know to, to come up with our own pricing structure and that's i feel like that's that's completely detached now from that commodity priced world um and that's that's new and it's it's great um as i said an awful lot of hassle comes with it and a lot of challenges come with it and everybody who processes or adds value or gets close to retail or retails knows this but um it, it's a, it feels like a lot much better place to be than than a price taker if that makes sense so organic production is for some farmers but obviously it's not not for everyone there's still going to be a huge amount of conventional um, production mm. in the uk and going to in the future so if you're going to talk to a conventional farmer and you said oh you could learn this about organic production and you could implement that on a conventional farm what would be what would be your advice what could what could a conventional farmer learn from an organic farmer well, I, I think this. I think this is the really exciting area, and I think this is something that just has to get better and better. And and not so much what I can say to an to a non-organic farmer, but the fact that we have so much in common. And and I think we've had, in in my twenty years of organic, we've seen an awful lot of of arguing and a lot of you know a lot of extreme views from both sides that have antagonised the other. Um, and that has held back, I think, progress for all parties. Um, I think the, the exciting thing of now, if, in, if you like, is soil and is the fact that we all now, everybody progressive from every form of agriculture has found something in common at last. And of course, it was the soil. Of course, it was because it was it always was. But we didn't realize it really. Um, and I think because of that, there's so much overlap between the two um, that, that we must, you know, it, in terms of advice, 
yeah, there are things on this farm that I'm sure non-organic farmers could learn from. Some of the things that I mentioned earlier, maybe about the the interaction between different inputs and the fact of our experience of having stopped those inputs that maybe you know, maybe it isn't as bad. Maybe it isn't the disaster that you think it's going to be. Um, and there's a lot of detail needed in that because, you know, you can't stop fungicides without stopping nitrogen, obviously, in that for example. But but you've got, there's a lot of potential to reduce inputs. And I think by looking at organic farms closely and understanding how they work, that would be really useful for all progressive arable farmers who are all looking to reduce inputs. That is the direction of travel, isn't it? Um, so I think there's an awful lot to learn in that. But I think in terms of soil and, and um, particularly in terms of cultivation and soil structure and soil management, soil health, we have a lot to learn from the regenerative sector now. And, and we are doing that. I think, you know, I think this is the exciting thing that we are finding common ground um, where you know we all realize that soil health is paramount and there are many routes to it and there are many good things and many bad things and nobody is doing all the good things um without some of the bad things um including us and and you know we have to accept that and admit it and 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 try to to do more good than bad so i think it would be not so much what i could teach anybody else but what we could teach each other um and that would be to, to to try and follow the best practice of any farmer be it organic or non i think that's a that's a great message and a, um, a great message for everyone really and something we massively promote at, at basis as well obviously mm -hmm. we're all about um learning from each other and um yeah developing knowledge that's that's fantastic so the final question is just to to look to the future really and in your opinion as a farmer what does the future of organic farming in the UK look like? I, I think it's I think it's good. I really do. And I, I think it's good, not necessarily for good reasons. I think I think it's good in that um, we are I think customers are ever more demanding, which may be demanding, but it's it's good. Uh, people want to know more. And I think as 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 consumers and customers become more aware, they look more hard, you know, more more uh, determinedly for for food that they understand the story of, and I think we have a good story in organic. We have a simple brand which is useful, very very useful and very valuable to us. That we have a very simple brand to sell um, in organic. So I think the market in terms of is going to grow and will continue to grow. Um, despite the fact that the UK has been a rather miserable place compared to a lot of other countries for organic over the last 20 years, I think, you know, it is growing again, it will continue to grow. And the more of the organic sector, which is marketed directly and perhaps away from major retailers strengthens that um, because we then have more influence over it. But I also think rather negatively, um, I mean, we're hearing about trade deals, we're hearing about, you know, all these threats to to our standards in this country, be it organic or non-organic. And, and you know, if, if we see um, a political direction which decreases the quality of food available um, by importing food below our own standards, then we will introduce, whether that's GM or other, other aspects to it, we will introduce more anxiety into some customers' minds. Um, and some of those customers will seek out labels and brands that reassure them. So I absolutely don't want to see it. I really don't. I know, I know more than any other farmer wants to see, um, you know, food imported that is beneath our own minimum standards. But if that should happen, then I think organic is in a good place to differentiate itself from the mainstream. Um, 
uh, and 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 prosper to some extent from that lowering of of uh, standards terrible thing to say but i'm afraid that that is something of how things feel at the moment well thanks for joining us today on the podcast mark that's been really interesting and i think that interview is just an example of kind of yeah how we can um, share knowledge between organic production and and conventional farming and as you said everything kind of in between as well so yeah thanks for joining us that was um, really great pleasure thanks Greg. thank you so our final guest on this episode of agronomy matters is stephen clarkson certification and compliance manager at organic farmers and growers who are one of the key organic certification bodies in the UK. So Stephen's going to explain what regulations control the organic food production industry in the UK and outline how farmers and growers can prepare before going through the organic conversion process. So thanks for joining us today, Stephen, and welcome to the Agronomy Matters podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So firstly, I think we all see lots of fresh produce and food products were in the supermarket, which is labelled as organic. But what requirements need to be met for that product to, to get that label? I think firstly, if you're regardless of what part of the process you do, whether you are a farmer um, at the production level or you're a processor and you're, uh, you're actually putting the product into, into packaging, then you have to, the official term would be notify your activity to the competent authority and subject that to the control system. And the control system is the, um, I suppose, the top to bottom aspect of organic certification. Um, and it, it takes into account DEFRA as being the competent authority in the UK and all of the control stroke certification bodies. Um, what that means in, um, in reality is that each, each um, operator has to uh, become approved or certified by one of the uh, six, I believe at the moment, certification bodies that are in the UK. Uh, that can entail, depending on the complexity of your uh, farming operation, that can be really simple or it could, it could be really difficult. It depends, everybody is... Uh, all systems of individual in that respect. So like you said, organic food production is, is tightly regulated, but how exactly is it control and controlled? And if I'm an organic farmer, what regulations do I actually have to follow? So if we, if we go back to 2020 before EU exit, or Brexit as it was called, um, then um, the regulatory framework is, um, is governed by a European regulation. So there are a European Council and European Commission who set the, um, set the standards for organic production across the whole of Europe. Uh, that then is kind of filtered down into the individual member states of which the UK would have been one. Um, and DEFRA in the UK then set the standards for production in the UK. They, um, the regulation says that they're not allowed to set a standard over and above the minimum European regulation. Um, however, as a private control body, OF&G could set a standard that's over and above that. Since the 1st of January, um, we've obviously become a, a third country, no longer part of Europe. But what, what DEFRA have done is they've taken the European regulation and they've brought it into UK law. So now in the UK, we have, um, as far as a farmer is concerned, we have two parts to the organic regulation. There's um, 
the retained UK regulation 834 2007 which is basically the framework to the whole thing. It was the first time that principles were laid down in a specific regulatory framework for organic production. So that is, I suppose in some respects, that's quite difficult to follow as a farmer and it's actually quite difficult to audit against as well. So as part of that, there's a second part of the regulation, which is the retained UK regulation. Um, 889-2008 and that's what they call the implementing rules and that's that's the kind of the nitty-gritty stuff that's the bit that the farmer would predominantly follow and that we as a as a certification body would go in and look at to make sure that they're compliant against so we issue those parts of the regulation to all of our registered operators in the form of the OFMG um, standards and certification manual so it has all of those regulatory bits and um, private standards where we feel that the organic regulation is, is difficult to interpret and sometimes can be a bit woolly. Um, and, uh, and those are the things that um, an organic farmer registered with, with OFMG would have to follow to become organic. So we've spoken there a lot and mentioned the term organic certification body, which OFMG are, are one of. But what does this mean and what role does OF&G play within the organic industry? So we're, we're um, I suppose, in some respects, we're the police of the system. It's, it always sounds a bit draconian to say that. I think we, as a control body, go in and check um, that the farmers' processes are compliant with the standards. And I think that's something that I like to put across in that, we don't go to a farm to find non-compliance, we go to a farm to establish compliance, which puts a bit more of a positive spin on it. By virtue of the fact you're looking for compliance, you may also find non-compliance. And if we find that, we obviously have to deal with that and, and rectify those non-compliances. But in the first instance, we're looking for compliance. And for all, in order for us to do that, we have to be approved by DEFRA as the competent authority in the UK and we also have to be accredited by UCAS to a standard called um, ISO 17065 which is product certification so we um, whilst our farmers are inspected actually Earth and G are also inspected annually um, as part of that accreditation process as well so we do kind of feel the pain that some of our farmers go through um, and as part of that, we, uh, we have to send a lot of information to DEFRA um, in terms of the number of operators we've got, the types of products that we certify, the land that we certify. So we send that on an annual and a monthly basis to DEFRA and, um, and that's really what we do. So we spoke there about inspections and monitoring. So if you're a farmer and you're certified by OF&G, what, what does that inspection process actually look like? So it's interesting that um, organic certification, organic um, production is the only assurance scheme, because in the end it is an assurance scheme, that, that legally requires its operators to have an annual physical verification. So the verification being the inspection. Obviously during kind of COVID times, things have been a little bit different and we've we've had to kind of amend how we do things because we haven't been able to do that, that physical aspect of it. But in a normal year, all of our operators would require a, a physical 
inspection of their premises. So with a farm, we, uh, we would send them a set of documents that um, is pre the inspection that they have to fill in. Um, that would give us the information about their livestock that they have, all of their cropping details, their proposed cropping details for the next few years ahead as well. And then we have an inspector that um, we, OF&G don't employ our own inspectors. We subcontract out our inspectors to two third party organizations, uh, Lloyd Register who do red tractor inspections and a second one called um, Control Union UK who incidentally are an organic control body in, um, in Holland as well but they don't do any organic in the UK. So they, they do all of our inspections. Um, the inspector would go in and as I said previously, they're looking for compliance. And to do that, they will spend a certain amount of time looking through all of the paperwork since the previous inspection that we've been in. Um, and they'll be looking for applications of products, um, justification for the need to use those products because that's a kind of a, a key area. Uh, livestock, whether livestock have had um, interventions, veterinary interventions, because the regulation restricts the number of interventions that can be used on a particular animal. Uh, and then they'll do a, um, a physical walk around of the farm as well. And they'll look at the crops, they'll look at the fields, and they'll assess from that whether they think that maybe something has happened and whether they go back and look at the records again. Um, and that whole process would generally take for a farm between four to five hours, or could be longer. Um, a colleague was on an inspection um, last week that was particularly complex, and it was a farm. Um, and I know they were there and from 10 o'clock in the morning till 7.30 at night. So it could be that it takes a long time, but on average, we'd say four to five hours for that, for that inspection to take place. It comes back to OF&G, so our inspectors don't make a decision on certification. Um, they're there just to do that actual inspection itself and produce a report based on those findings. And then back at our offices, although they're remote at the moment, we have what we call certification officers who are, um, we client manage all of our operators. So they're allocated a number of operators that they client manage on a daily basis. Um, and they would take that inspection report and they assess it, go through it with a fine tooth comb. And they're the people that make the decision on whether an operator can have a certificate or not. Uh, and then they would send it out. As part of our accreditation, we're not allowed to provide advice to our operators because obviously if you provide advice and then you certify, you, um, you audit your own advice and that becomes a conflict of interest. So we, we tread a fine line with our operators in terms of what is advice and what is guidance. And, and we try to stay on the guidance side of it. So if, if our operator has a non-compliance, they would have to propose to us what the corrective action would be, but we could tell them, okay, that's what the standards say you can do. And there might be two or three different things that you can do that fit within the standards but it's down to the operator in terms of what they actually do. Um, and the, the, um, the certification officer would assess all of that. Uh, and we get a lot of phone calls in the office from our farmers. We'll, we take somewhere in the region of 10 to 15,000 telephone calls a year from our operator base. 
uh, and they're all asking questions about certification, about the inspection process, about what they have to do. Um, and we then issue a 15, no, 14 month certificate based on that inspection process. And then we would, provided they're not deemed to be a, um, an addition, uh, a high risk operator, um, and we have a number of factors that we assess in terms of risk. Do they have organic and non-organic within the same operation? Things like that. Then they would then go into a cycle where they have another inspection in 12 months time. But if they're deemed to be a higher risk, then they would have an additional unannounced visit as part of the process as well, which might be in six months time. It might be in three months time. It really depends on, on what the outcome of that initial inspection was. So we spoke there a bit about the inspection process, but one of the big steps is if you're a conventional farmer or grower, actually converting some or all of your land or livestock into organic production, it's quite a big step for farmers to make. Mm -hmm. Is it a really difficult process? And what are the real main challenges that you'll face? I suppose it, it, it depends on the complexity of your operation and it also depends on your own mindset. When, when talking to... Um, previous or, or existing organic farmers that have been organic for a long time and I've I've been with OFNG for 20 years now um, that it's it's that mindset change um, and it's it's going from going out uh, and looking at you know your crops and saying okay they look a bit weak in certain areas and being able to use a specific product on it to rectify that it's actually the probably 12 months two years prior to that you were thinking about that crop and what you've got to do so I suppose in in some respects it's kind of it's a bit more hands-on farming really you know you've 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 got to know your land you've got to know your crops and you've and you've got to be continually assessing what you think is going to happen a few years down the line to be able to actually make that success and that that's I suppose that's the most difficult thing conventional farmers um, have found is, is you know being able to change that mindset to not be able to use that armory of things that would have been there as a non-organic farmer. So while there are challenges obviously there are opportunities as well and if I'm a farmer and I've decided our oh, organic production is is for me obviously preparing for the conversion process is really important so what would be your top tips to be really well prepared to, to move towards organic farming? I think the thing is taking the time in the first place. You know, don't don't rush into anything. And we, we, um, we used to go to a lot of shows um, and talk to a lot of farms at shows. And I would talk to a farmer and then and say to them, look, take your time, talk to other farmers that are already organic, get as much information as you can before you actually kind of make that step. And then we might hear from them two or three years later when they say, I'm actually now at the point where I want to go and do it. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy in my mind that we can do it. Um, you know, rushing into it is where you tend to find that maybe somebody's gone into it as a last resort. And, and it's fine for 18 months, two years, but then you start to see things sort of fall away a little bit, and that's and it. And organic is a is a long term project. It's not a it's not a quick fix for anything. You know, changing stuff within farming is not a quick fix as it is. But organically, actually, you're kind of thinking much further ahead already. 
So I'd, I'd, I'd speak to as many people, you know, Twitter, Facebook, there are so many organic farmers out there now that are using it, that actually use the knowledge that they've got and, um, and the skills that they've gained through their conversion process and, and, and conversion of not just the land, but conversion of themselves and actually, and utilize that, that, I think that's where I would probably start with somebody. A conversion of yourself is a really nice um, yeah. yeah way to think about it. And previ previously we had um, so there there were there were grant schemes and it's a bit more difficult now. But there was a thing called um, OSIS, which is the Organic Conversion Information Service, and they offered free advice. And obviously that that's not around any longer. But there are there are some really good advisors out there that have a lot of knowledge of organic. So utilize those. There's also um, Oasis, which is the um, uh, website and um, an advice that you can get uh, and utilize that as well, I think is a good thing. So do you think we'll see more businesses moving into organic production in the future in the UK? And if so, what do you think kind of the main drivers behind that will be? Well, I think we've, we've as a company, OF&G are still seeing a lot of um, a lot of inquiries about organic production from from across the board. It's 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 predominantly always been the livestock sector that have gone in first, because actually the livestock sector is somewhat easier to convert the farm and your mindset than the crop sector, because within the livestock sector you may just reduce your reliance on anthelmintics, antibiotics, and things like that, but you can still use them if you have a problem. Whereas within the crop side, most of the things that you were using, you won't be allowed to use. So, it, so it, it's much more difficult. However, the livestock sector is much bigger than the, than the crop sector within organic. And we import a massive amount of our organic feed predominantly for those livestock. Um, and whilst that, uh, there are issues in terms of um, the, the cost of feed uh, for imported versus home produced. Actually, I think people would want to use more home produced feed if they could get it more readily. And um, so that's a sector that I think is always going to be there and is always uh, there for somebody to tap into. And we're also seeing much more, much younger uh, members of the public buying organic. We're seeing the organic um, sales increased at what, 2.6 billion or something like that now. So that so it's it's um, a lot of that predominantly again can be imports, but actually there's a there's a lot of that could be tapped into by uh, by growing some of those crops in the UK. And I think um, you know Mark Lee, one of our organic farmers, he's whilst he's a long established organic farmer, he's tapping into a lot of those markets and he's becoming closer to the uh, the end user um which obviously is much better for him so there's there certainly areas that, that we would like to see growing so the final question i've got is what i've asked all our our guests on this on this podcast is so in your opinion what does the future of organic farming in the uk look like um well we're we're at a bit of a crossroads really i suppose part because of in some respects because of brexit we're the uh, well, BPS 
potentially will be reduced. Um, they're looking at SFI and, and the ALM scheme in, in England. Um, and uh, um, kind of, we've been doing a, a lot of work on that to try and bring organic into that. And whilst it's not necessarily ideal, I think there will be elements of it that organic farmers um, can tap into. And, and the whole discussion at the moment seems to be around the environment and what organic delivers on a number of those factors that they're talking about in terms of the environment. So it, it, it makes sense to be utilised in that, in that respect. So we can only see organic becoming, as I say, say, more mainstream, but more and more organic farmers delivering what the government is looking for in terms of sustainability, if we want to use that word. That's great. Thanks, uh, Stephen, and a great way to, to round up. So I'd like to just say thanks again for joining us um, on the podcast today. It's a pleasure. Thanks very much. I'd just like to say thanks to everyone who has joined us on this episode of the Agronomy Matters podcast. Listening to all three of our guests who work within organic food production allows us to see a different perspective on farming in the UK and highlights how those working within the organic industry and conventional farming not only have a lot in common with similar challenges around government policy, managing the wider environment and maintaining profitability, but can also learn from each other sharing knowledge on sustainable farming practices. As I said at the start of this episode, BASIS are now supporting the organic sector to help improve knowledge through our Foundation Award in Organic Farming Qualification. If anyone would like to know more about this course, then please get in touch with us, or you can find more information through the BASIS website. For any BASIS professional register or Register of Sheep Advisor members, you can claim one CPD point for listening to this episode of Agronomy Matters by visiting your members area on the BASIS or ROSA website, selecting Submit CPD Points and entering BASIS Podcast Organic Farming into the publication title and reference number boxes. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the BASIS Podcast and we'll see you next time on Agronomy Matters.